Hey everybody, welcome back to the Phil Krause Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and today I have a special guest in the house, Johnny motherfucking Primo, Courses of Action. What's up, Johnny? Hey, how you doing, dude? Good. Bring your mouth closer to the cylindrical right. device. Yeah. <laughs> right here. <laughs> um, Primo just came up from the valley. Um, hey man, thanks for being here. I know we've been talking about this for a bit. I don't ever want to do podcasts with people that I like uh, via the phone. I think yeah. it's, it's stupid. It's, it's not it's, as personal. Though. It's not as personal. Uh, so if you don't, if you guys don't know who Johnny is, uh, you'll check out his company at Courses of Action. Um, also, me and Prima go way back, like back to the Q course days, which yes. is that's old school. <laughs> that's how old school as it gets in our li- in our livelihood. When you were an E five and I was a young E four, <laughs> very young E four. <laughs> those good old days. I love. I miss those days, man. Yep. Um, so, uh, first of all, let me kick this off by, by, uh, letting you do an intro, who you are, kind of like, uh, what, tell us about your company courses of action and just give us some background on you. Cause uh, some people might not be, uh, tuned into the Primo. Um, so Johnny Primo, uh, came out of third special forces group with you, uh, went to the Q course with Mike, did all that stuff. Um, Courses of Action is a company very similar to Fieldcraft where we have our niche. And I'll say that small unit tactics is something that we really push. And then obviously shooting pistol, carbine, combatives, that stuff. And then uh, the whole mindset and physical side of it as well. So Yeah, when we, we uh, started companies, I think at the same time, similar. Right around the same time. Probably. Right around the same March time. March 2016. And we've always been mutually supporting each other's companies and ideas, bouncing stuff off each other because that's what we do. Um, but yeah, I like the direction that you've gone into where you focus some of your attention on small unit tactics and not a lot of companies do that because they think that, uh, the flat range is kind of like the end all be all. What was your reason for kind of like tying into well, small unit tactics? the reason I stood up small unit tactics is one, you know, the stuff that we're teaching one, I want to clarify this because there's a lot of trainers out there that are like, Oh my gosh, you're teaching tactics. <laughs> Everything is open source. You can buy a Ranger handbook. You can do it like it's, it's basic raid recon ambush. But what I wanted to do is if people are going to pay, uh, I won't say names, but a certain seal, $10,000 to get sprayed in the face with a water hose for two days and talk about teamwork and leadership, that's fine. You're talking about it, but there's a capacity whenever you're sleep deprived, hungry, thirsty, and you're in a leadership position where you really have to develop that camaraderie and by proxy, you know, people learn crisis planning, raid recon ambush, all that stuff, and some intro to single man, one man, two man, CQB. Uh, by proxy, what you learn about yourself mentally, very similar to the course that you just ran this past weekend, is, wow, I'm a shitty leader, or I suck whenever I'm stressed, or I'm mentally weak. And so what you learn about yourself by proxy is, is what we really care about. And that's I mean, I know your mindset and my mindset, and both of us want to make human beings better human beings, better versions of themselves, the best they can be. And point blank, whenever you're in the suck, you learn a lot about yourself. Yeah, what's interesting is uh, we just did a soft prep course here at Phil Crap HQ, and we had a, uh, a student that had been through your SUT um, training. And, and when we discussed that a little bit, he was fleshing out, and it, didn't, it honestly, it didn't occur to me right off the bat because it, it's not really about this actual tactics. Mm-mm. It's about you know being around like-minded, organizing, uh, learning leadership skills, learning a lot about yourself, 
And he highlighted all those things. And I thought that was really impressive because, you know, we always talk about mindset and, and people, when you talk about mindset, the first thing you say is how do I develop a more resilient mindset? Well, you, you train in things that make you more resilient. Yep. And, and those kind of processes like small unit tactics are one of those ways. And, um, it's not just about running and gunning on flat range because you have to go through a process and that requires a little bit of time. I agree. You know, just like you, I'm sure you get these, I get messages from kids and like, Hey, I want to go SF or I want to be a SEAL or I want to be a Ranger. And what should I do shooting wise? And this and this and this. I'm like, they're going to teach you how to shoot. Like that's the last thing you need to be worried about. What's that sponge in between your ears doing, bud? Remember when we went to, remember, remember we went to, uh, it was probably one of our first little range things and we were doing just like ready up drills. Yes. And I'm like, this is it. Yeah. But we were all excited. I remember everybody was like, yeah, <laughs> we're doing some flat range stuff and you're just like ready up. Boom, yeah. boom, ready up. Yeah. Boom, boom. And, and like, there was like hundreds of us out there. Like how much crazy. are you really learning? Right. So, um, I'm a big advocate of you have to put yourself in crappy situations with other people. It's easy to do it on your own. It's easy to say, oh, I'm going to go on this solo hike or do this and it's going to suck. But you really figure out your interpersonal skills whenever you're with a group of people and you're hungry and tired. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're thrown in a leadership position. And one thing I tell people is every good leader knows how to follow as well. Like you have to follow. You have to, as a leader, no matter what capacity you're in, you have to be able to I think it's that shapeable thing, right? Yeah, you being have, adaptable. Yeah, yeah, adapt and overcome, right? You yeah. have to, you have to listen to the people that you're leading because sometimes, guess what? Majority of the time, actually, they will have some better ideas than you have, and you can't let yourself get so proud that it's end all be all. I'm this. No, you're a leader, and you're also a follower. You know what's what's the um, what do you think the strength is of courses of action over other tactical companies? And we, I mean, we've talked about this in person, but I mean, what what separates you from the pack? Um. Well, it's the same thing that separates you, right? It's having a background, applying what we teach and understanding that there's nothing really sexy about gunfighting. The basics are the basics. It's the situation that you're applying them in that's sexy. If you're doing a linear target takedown, that's sexy. But the tactics that you're applying inside there and the fundamentals of marksmanship that you're applying are still the basics. You're just applying them in a sexy dynamic situation. 100%. 100%. We, we, we always talk about that as the advancement is the environment. It's never, all the basics stay the same. And, um, you know, one, one thing that I don't know a lot of people know of is your background in, in physical fitness and kind of like your, the education caliber tier that you're at, which is when I think about the most fit people on the planet and, you know, special operations unit units that we've operated in, um, if you're a member or you've been through a seminar of Jim Jones, then you know real uh, physical fitness and you know the science behind it. And you're actually a Jim Jones certified certified instructor. instructor. Yes. That's a big freaking, I mean, just as a business alone, just having that, especially in special operations or working with mill dudes, everybody knows that who's in who's worked at higher levels of performance. Uh, How did you get into that? How did that start? So whenever I got out of the army, I ended up in Utah and I was training with Tommy Hackenbrook of Ute CrossFit. And they're the guys that won back-to-back team championships at the CrossFit games and all that stuff. And there was this lady named Lisa Bouchard, formerly Lisa Twite. And she's like, Hey, do you want to come train at my gym? I'm inviting you. 
And I already knew what Jim Jones was. So this so. is Lisa Twite. This is Mark Twite's yes, wife. Yes, yes. They're, they're divorced now, but so Lisa Bouchard now, but at that time, yes, Lisa Twite. So I went there and I was out of my element. I was, I was not the big fish in the sea anymore. I was low end of the totem pole. And I was constantly searching for that camaraderie that I lost whenever I left the military. And while these guys aren't shooters or killers or whatever action words people want to use, that's dumb. The camaraderie there is insane. You know, no one's going to quit. Everyone has the mental capacity to finish and give it a hundred percent with whatever they're doing. And guess what? If you quit, you're not welcome back because cancer spreads. <laughs> Funny thing. We won't talk about that, but can, a little bit of cancer will kill you. And if you let that in, if you let that in your surrounding area or your gym or your workplace, then it spreads like wildfire. So, so that was a standard they had. If you quit, you're, you're, you're not done. welcome back. You're not welcome back. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. So it's awesome. It's, it's, you can't do this or you won't do this. Mm. There's a difference between being physically incapable mm -hmm. and mentally. And if you're mentally weak, you're not allowed there. So went there, started training there in Utah. I was amazed by it, the camaraderie, the workouts, everything. And then she's like, hey, do you want to go to the seminar? I was like, sure. So I went to the beginning seminar, intermediate seminar, advanced seminar, and then they gave me my fully certified instructor ranking. And How long did that process take from beginning? To probably close to two years. Uh -huh. So what people don't understand is, and I'm not dogging CrossFit at all. If you go to CrossFit, you know, whenever I got my, my level one CrossFit certification, I went there and there was a dude that had never done CrossFit. He could barely do a clean properly with a PVC pipe. And mm -hmm. I asked him, why are you here? He's like, oh, I'm going to open up a CrossFit gym next week. Like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. Like, you're going to teach. That's Setting how people, people up get for failure. Yeah. yeah. So with this, with Jim Jones, um, one, it's not cheap. You have to do the beginning sem seminar, which is two days, the intermediate, which is two days, then the advance, which is five days. Then you have to fly and stay with us in Utah for a minimum of 17 days doing an internship. And we give you a thumbs Whoa, up or thumbs down nice. if you're going to be an instructor for us. Wow. I like that. So it's not, it's not just pay to play. Like you have to pay, mm -hmm. but it's not guaranteeing that you're going to be a fully certified instructor. Whoa. That's all. So it's another level of, uh, kind of filtering through. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you know, I, I look at the workouts that we do there and I'm like, man, you know, our attrition rate and selection in the Q course is fairly high, but if they had some of that crap in there, it would have been even higher. Oh, like yeah. I look back at the stuff in selection and, there's times whenever I've been training at Jim Jones, I'm like, wow, this is way, 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 way harder than anything I did in the pipeline. Are you planning on doing like a Jim Jones gym or you're authorized to do that now? Yeah, right? I can do that if I want to. The thing is, is um, I'm very bad at this like you are. So I'll see something I like and then it gets all my attention and I'll have like my hands in. 10 different things. That's so me. I really have to, That's all of us. I really have to slow down and concentrate <laughs> on courses of action and it's it's bringing Jim Jones into courses of action, if you will. So in the training and the stress shoots, I mean, you've done one of my stress shoots. You're like, what the fuck is this dude? It's suck fest. Yeah. Well, I like but, that. <laughs> yeah. It's a different, it's opened my eyes too to, you know, kind of improving the way that we do it as well, because you add a lot of stress at the end and we talk about stress, but we don't highlight it, highlight it like you do because when uh, we did that course and I did your stress shoot, I mean, it was like a, it was at least a 10-minute stress shoot, which meant you were running back and forth yeah. and getting your you know physiological profile broken down, like mentally yeah. and physically depleting yourself so you could actually assess your capability uh, in marksmanship. 
And I like that. It's, it, it actually changes a lot of the ways that I looked at it as well, where we wanted to introduce more stress. What, 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 why do you do that in the first place? Is there, some, is there a reason? I tell people shooting a gun is easy. Shooting a gun is really, really easy. It's the thinking part that's hard. So if you introduce stress inoculation, introduce stress, make the target smaller and scorable and competition-wise against your buddies, you get to see where you're really going to be. Mm -hmm. um, everyone, you know that old adage, everyone wants to be in a firefight until you're in a firefight. Well, that's 100% true. And then with our backgrounds, unfortunately, it just kept on going. Um, but what happens the first time you're in that firefight is your heart rate spikes, everything's going crazy. I don't really believe in this, in this auditory exclusion stuff. You know, a lot of people say that and I'm like, Hmm, I don't agree with that because we had comms on and I'd be talking to my teammates while I'm getting shot at or shooting at somebody, but you have to be able to train in that environment and understand what you're capable of at that, that level of stress before you actually go into it. The mm -hmm. first time that you experience that should not be in a, in a bad event. Mm -hmm. Especially you for know? civilians who, yeah. I mean, it's, if you get in a you know situation where you're drawing a gun in civilian world, that's a definitive crossroad moment. Well, dude, even for you and I, mm -hmm. if we have to draw our firearm on somebody stateside, we're gonna be a little weirded out. Hundred percent. We're in America. Yeah. We're yeah. used to doing it overseas, but if we have to do it here, yeah, like whoa, what is what is happening right now? This is awkward. You yeah. know, um, last Sunday, two Sundays ago, I was putting my stuff in storage, and. Uh, I leave, it was 11.35, I leave to go pick up more stuff in my garage, go back and I noticed that there was this black Nissan Frontier and whenever I left, there was this meh, 22, 23 year old kid in there on his phone. I go around the corner to my storage, I'm unloading stuff and I hear pop. And I'm like, oh man, there's an active shooter in the storage area. Grab my Glock and you know, I, uh, here's what I tell people. If my family's with me, I'm not a hero. But if it's just me, then it, that responsibility is on me because of my background to save other human beings' life and sacrifice myself for that. Grab my gun, roll around the corner, and this kid committed suicide. So I roll up, he shot himself in his right temple, blew out his left side of his head, blew out the window and all this stuff. I call the cops, but just for that fraction of a second that I was like, whoa, we're in the US and there's a gunshot and my gun's out and I'm going to react to contact right now mm -hmm. was awkward. And I'm groomed for this just like you are. Yeah. It's not a situation that, that you're really ready for here. You know, it's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> when, we, when me and, when me and uh, Kurt were confronted by that dude who's like pretending like he was about to draw down on us or he was just fronting like he was, I mean, I, I felt some stress. I felt cortisol, man. I was like, "Ooh, man! Like, I, am I really ready for this?" Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, I'm trying to drink my coffee and just like have a nice commute to work, and then and this is about to pop off, and it made me think, like, who is somebody who's not prepared because they've trained mentally, physically? What are they feeling like? Yeah. Um, yeah. But did that happen in uh, Phoenix? In Utah. Jeez. Yeah. Man. And the worst part was. Um, the cops showed up, you know, I called the cops, like nine officers showed up because it's Utah, there's no crime, right? So they get out and they see me and I'm not sure if people listening to this have seen me, but I kind of look like a white supremacist that just got out of prison. Yeah, so they, yeah, so they show up and um, I was like, okay, tell them what's going on. And I, I give them advice. I'm like, hey, you guys may want to court on this. You may want to isolate this area. Mm -hmm. They didn't. So there's three other vehicles, three random people going to storage, three other vehicles passing by. And what do they see? 
this dude's brains literally on the ground, his head there. So I go around the corner. I was like, you guys need to do your fucking jobs. Yeah. Like no one, no one in, get these people out. Your cops, get them out, go around the corner. And there's this lady on the phone shaking, like, <sighs> like, and so I go up to her and I'm like, you know, showing her my hands. I'm like, Hey, I'm not a threat. Like, listen, you're not okay right now. You probably shouldn't drive. If you want to ride home, I will give you a ride home, mm -hmm. but you definitely need to seek therapy. And so people that aren't groomed to understand this or that haven't seen this stuff in in real life, that those people are traumatized for the rest of their life. Forever. Yeah. They don't understand that. Forever. There's nothing. Have there been times whenever I'm like, yes, we need to go like inflict harm on bad people. Yes. Whenever a fellow fellow military person gets killed or like Jason or something like that. Mm -hmm. But there's never really been a time where I've woken up and like, man, I really feel like getting into some shit today. Like that'd be awesome if we could do this. Like, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So being groomed for that and then seeing that and just that, that split second where I was like, holy shit, my gun's out. I'm pying around the corner of the storage <laughs> building <laughs> thinking <laughs> there's an active shooter. Damn. You know? And I was like, if I, like you just said, if I feel this way, how is, how is a normal person going to feel? Oh, man. If they have to do it. Well, that just re that kind of like um, just kind of resets and incentivizes the training that you do do for everybody and kind of reprioritizes the, your focus as well. Because I always look at those opportunities, whether or not they're good or bad, is just opportunities to shed some light on the subject matter. Even discussing it right now, it's like people need to understand that. You yeah. know, just, you know, you don't want to be complacent uh, in these kind of environments. And then when things do kick off, you, you want to be prepared at which level is to be determined by you and your training and what you go through. Um, for courses of action for the, for the future, what, what do you guys got in store uh, in the near future? Um, you know, we're doing another SGT course with Dan Yep. in Texas. Uh, still, still want to get going what you and I were talking about. That SEER course would be pretty legit. Um, the SEER thing's funny though, just like you, a lot of people ask for it mm -hmm. with me. I don't think they realize <laughs> what they're asking for. Exactly, man. You know? oh. I think there'd be like one or two courses and then no more. Like, if, I, <laughs> if you put in the description that what you're going to do, they're just like zero slots filled. But, it, but it's like, yeah, you're right, guys. You know, me and, me and Primo had talked about it before about setting up a peacetime detention course, a survival course, or simple things like... Hey, you know, even in a soft prep course, I'll let the cat out of the bag. We do put people in boxes because I want to assess if guys are claustrophobic because if they're, if they are, they need to work through it and we give them tactics to do that because you don't want to get down to special operations world and then find out the first time that you are. So we do it that as a part of it. But when we're talking about the survival course, we would do things like that because you have to assess if you're kind of like in this environment where you're overseas you're in third world countries and you're a tourist that if you do get rolled up, you have to understand some components of survival in those environments. And we had brainstorms like it's an awesome idea, but is it a marketable idea? Do people really want to be put I in a situation? Yeah. People, people, oh, you guys should do a SEER course, SEER course. I don't think they really grasp what that entails. And you know, it's funny. You're talking about being claustroph claustrophobic. I was not claustrophobic until I was in that, that, um, those one boxes where it's like three, three levels of them. Yep. Yep. And they put you in there with like two sandbags and your yep. hands are behind your back and you can't lean forward, can't lean backwards, side to side, up or down. But whenever people start freaking out next to you, 
in oh, their boxes, yeah. oh, it gets in your head real quick. I think I said probably 100 Our Father Who Art in Heavens back to back to back just so your I didn't mantra. geek out. Yeah. Because... Gives me anxiety right now. Just yeah. <laughs> like you, you're fine, and all of a sudden somebody's freaking out, Ugh. and then the person below you freaking out next to you, and all this, and it's like you may think you're fine, but you're not. And guess what? That shit spreads. People freak out. You start freaking out. That's why, you know that that's another portion of the stress portion is being calm and collective. Mm-hmm. What do we say? Calm, cool, collective, right? Yep. And you have to be because, especially if you're in the military, especially if you're in a leadership role in a business, if you're freaking out something's wrong and your subordinates are going to see that and they're yep. going to freak out. So no matter 100%. what the situation is, you have to be calm. Well, I like, I like this whole talk about mindset because, and I just saw it on a question on Instagram on it right now where you're writing a book about some of your life experiences mm-hmm. and everything yep. else. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be at the same time around the same time that mine's July 31st. Yep. Yep. I'm shooting for July 4th as independence day. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell us a little bit about that book. Uh, so it's not what people think it's going to be. It's not going to be another book about the military. There's literally 16 pages about army stuff and majority of it's um, how I did it with the military stuff is how, when I should have taken a break and been an instructor, I didn't take a break. And next thing you know, I'm deploying 22 out of my 24 months of staff time whenever I was doing that force mod stuff. Yeah. Um, but it talks about, you know, I had a lot of crazy things happen to me as a child. I was, uh, you know, whenever I was uh, five years old, molested for six months by the babysitter's daughter, who was a teenager, uh, as part of a kid's fight club. And it sounds funny now, but basically uh, the babysitter was a guy and him and his friends would just bring all, you know, themselves over and their kids. And, and he had the other kids he was babysitting and they get drunk and make us fight. And if we cried, then the grown men would beat us up. I remember, literally, I remember being thrown across a room into a wall and kicked in the stomach by a grown man. And I was seven. Oh. And my little brother was also there. So if I didn't fight, they'd make my little brother fight. And at a very young age, you know, this, this whole protect and provide and do something bigger than myself for, for people that are less fortunate. That was there as a young age, you know, it's, it's, I grew up in a broken home, never really knew my dad and it was a pattern of these things. Right. So I can honestly say for, I mean, you knew me in the Q course, ego drove me. Like I remember whenever we were in the Bravo course and we were on the range and was it Rob, Laura, he was there and he did jujitsu as well. And I was like, I will fuck you up. And, He's like, I'm an E6. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't give a fuck what I'm your rank is. I'm like, and you're like, whoa, dude, like you can't do, like, what are you doing? It was behind that little I building. I remember. I do remember. And I was like, I will fuck you. He's like, I'll fuck you. And you're like, dude, you're an NCO and you're an E4. You should not be talking this way to each other. I remember like that. that. That's so But I mean, yeah. so ego has always driven me, you know, as a professional skateboarder at the age of 12. My mom passed away when I was 14. I'd never really had a strong fam- a father figure in my life. And everything that I did in life was trying to prove to other people that I was good enough. Um, the reason I went to the Q course, was I was in the 82nd Airborne Division. And I was like, I'm better than these people. I'm just going to go to the Q course. Or I'm going to go to selection and see what that is. I didn't even know what SF was. I just knew that they were on brag as well. And they had long hair and beards and da-da-da-da-da. 
And it wasn't for myself. It was to prove to other people that I was good enough. And that all falls back to me not having a father figure growing up. And, you know, whenever I was getting molested, in my mind at that point in time, I, I was like, she thinks I'm cool. Like, I'm cool. That's why she's doing this. You know what I mean? So my entire life has been based on proving myself to everybody else other than myself. So the title of the book is Proving Myself to Me and like really going into these experiences I had growing up and, and what I learned from them and how I apply that today. Anybody that says that you had trauma like that as a kid and it doesn't affect you as a grown human being, well, you're fucking lying. It does. 100%. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I think, you know, number one, it's normal even to discuss that in an open forum because um, what I think you see is, is the bigger picture is how it benefits people because people – you know, nobody wants to talk about trauma. Nobody wants to talk about um, a lot of the issues they face because uh, because of ego, because they want to protect themselves, but they don't understand that a part of growth is when you're open about those things. And then when you flush those dots out, and then you're in addition to that helping other people, and I think it's going to be a, a hugely impactful. Well, uh, it's whenever, you know, you and I are in the, you, you and I are in the position where people actually look up to us as leaders in the civilian world mm-hmm. and they see us and they're like, oh, these are tattoo dudes that have an awesome background and they're tough. But at some point, every one of us paramount through special operations had some jacked up stuff happen to them as kids. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just exposing myself. It's like, hey, yeah, you may think I'm a badass, but guess what? There's some shit that happened to me to make me there. They did a, they did a study, and Mike's an anomaly out, out of this, um, but 98% of special operations, including all the entities, JSOC and all that underneath there, 98% of us, the height of 5'8 to 5'10, 170 to 190 pound size, 10 and a half boot, medium regular uniform, Size large helmet, size large gloves, and came from a broken home. Damn. I, I believe it. <laughs> and I like, if it. you think about it, yeah. think about who you worked with. It's yeah, like, 100%. Everyone yeah. was like that. 100%. And, and, and part of it, right, is the experience, right? It's yeah. the, it's, there's a, you know, we, we always recommend that people have life experience or we associate that with maturity when they come into special operations because that's, that's kind of a common thread, but maybe the common thread is uh, resiliency, right? Because when you go through a lot of trauma as a child, you have to cope. And so if you're good at being shapeable, adaptable, at coping with trauma, then that makes you a good operator because that's what you're exposed to. It's literally like you're a professional uh, a professional at being exposed to trauma. Yeah, <laughs> like 100%. That, yeah. It, it's <laughs> nothing but trauma. Warfare is trauma, and you train for all this stuff. And if you didn't have a very kind of... Uh, on diverse background, full full of experiences, including trauma, then you weren't going to be necessarily prepared for war. Well, and and the the funny thing too is you bring you know trauma and and we're bringing up the war stuff. Uh, my teammate Jason Palmerton that got killed July twenty third two thousand five. Uh, you wore his patch. You vindicated. You did your team's thing with with his patch, his initials on your shoulders. But people don't understand how traumatic it is whenever something happens to a teammate. I tell people that I remember carrying Jason on the back of that C-130 and I would rather experience the emotions that I did with my mom dying a hundred times over and over and over 
than experience emotions that I did with Jason. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, yeah. people don't grasp different. it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it is weird. Well, that's, that's why I've been so, I mean, I did a, my last podcast, I did it on tacticians and I'm, I'm so adamant about pushing the seriousness with what we're doing. I mean, there's a, there's a responsibility and, and people who have served in the capacities that we've served understand that responsibility because we've lost brothers. Yep. And until you experience that, you don't take it serious. It's, it's just, it's, it's being tactical until you realize it's real. Yeah. You know, it's just like that meme you describe where it's like everybody wants to be in a gunfight or an operator until it's time to kick it off. Well, part of that is understanding that you're going to experience tremendous loss. And then when you reflect back on it as a professor or as a tactician, there's a burden of responsibility because it's not a fucking game. No, not at all. It's, uh, it's real. And, and most of us, whenever we started, when, I mean, I know for, at least myself, whenever I was in the Q course, I was like, Oh, I'm do, I'm going to be cool. This is what I'm doing. I wasn't even really looking, you know, I'd already deployed prior to going to the Q course, which is weird. Um, cause most of our instructors had deployed. Yeah. Right. Um, but I didn't really grasp the full concept of what I was doing until I deployed with my team, mm-hmm. you know? And then, and you know, people like to say, you know, you and I have a severely high number of deployment. It's, it's ridiculous. And like, oh, you get addicted to it. I'm like, no, I don't get addicted to deploying and all that stuff. I get addicted to escaping reality. Because back here stateside, I have to deal with real life. Bills, drama, De- deploying, relationships. It, deploying, I'm just like. It's so simple. It's so primal. Wake up, eat, work I out. It. I fucking love Take it. care of my teammates. I like, miss that so bad. It's, it's simple, simple, simple. It's so primal, man. Everyone's like, it. oh, did you, you didn't. Did you have access to the phone? I'm like, I had a fucking sat phone in my bedroom. I yeah. just didn't want to call home. Like, yeah. I didn't want to face reality. I didn't want to deal with this shit. You know, so it's uh, it is. You're gonna you're gonna experience trauma. You're gonna you're gonna be with the best dudes ever on the face of this planet. And then you're gonna get out, and you're gonna miss that camaraderie. And I think that's you. I think both of us have done a decent enough job of 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 finding that camaraderie in other outlets versus having to be there still. But what do you think? Do you think, uh, and I always compare this. Do you think the reason why you, you made courses of action is because you're looking for that again? hundred percent. You're building it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, you have your tribe thing that you have, the tribe membership. Yeah. And dude, there's like this whole, like the student that you're talking about that came through your, your soft prep course. There's this, group of dudes that have been through my courses are on this text chain and they're always driving from like California and Arizona to link up and train together and all this. And Mm -hmm. it's like, we're building groups Mm -hmm. of men and women Mm -hmm. that actually give a fuck. Yeah. You know? Well, they don't, it's, it's funny. It's like even the guy that I'm referring to that, uh, had been to our training that had been to your training, he was almost in tears and I don't mean to call him out like that, but he's almost in tears and expressing, that for once in his life, he found purpose and being around uh, like-minded people as compared to his his routine life. Yeah, and, and no, I think 100%. it's a, you know in the engineering field, yeah. where it's just a nine to five. Nobody cares about you, and and I think ultimately we're all looking for that. And so if you don't have it because you you just don't have the family structure, 
the friendship structure, or just you could have all those things and you're missing the camaraderie. Uh, you could find that in special operations at the deepest level or find groups like ours where we're trying to mend that gap because you know part of the cultural society issue is we're getting further displaced from that bond 100%. that makes us great you know it was uh i look back and you know at the end of an SUT course you'll have you know we had three guys quit in the first 24 hours uh which is really quit yeah. your course yeah that's awesome um, and it wasn't anything bad. <laughs> they just walked away and they're like, I'm done. They're like, I quit. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. You, you paid just for spent this. <laughs> $2,000 and you quitting. Like, oh, guess man. what? I don't have two grand to just go spend oh. and then quit. Right. So, oh, that's awesome. Um, but the guys that finished at the end, like you just said, they were crying. They were in tears and they were like, I don't know why I'm in, why I'm crying right now. Yeah. And I was like, because you just accomplished something with a group of dudes that you don't even understand. Yeah. You won't even understand what you did until months from now. And then about two weeks, three weeks after it, they started DMing me and texting me. That's like, it. Once hey, it sinks in. Wow, dude. Like, this is what we did. And they're like, I hate my life. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, the one uh, we're talking about, 27 years old, and he's going to give up everything he's doing. Yeah. Lose accomplished, 50, yeah. 50 to 60K a year. Yep to go into the military on an 18 x-ray contract. And it's like, but it's easy to miss something like that. I look at how easy life was whenever we were in like SU or whenever we were in phase two for us or whenever we were in the Bravo course or anything like that. Like I just remember it was, life was easy. So great. It was wake up, do some PT with some studs. Mm -hmm. And just talk shit all day. Yes. And like, learn about guns. Oh, Mike. I remember whenever I fucked up and I would like, whenever we were doing the small arms exam and yeah. I, I couldn't get the safety check yeah. for some reason on an AK the right way. And it was like, everyone's turned around like, Johnny, are you fucking serious right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then like, you remember we had to stay overnight. We learned. So we have this section where we have to learn mortars. And that shit sucked. <laughs> they gave us an expedited version. Yeah. We literally, what was it like three days? It was. It was and short. then we had to test out on it. Oh, it's God. like, oh my Everybody God. Everybody's freaking out. We're like, uh, you're like plotting with the plotting boards FDC, and all this man. shit. Yes. Oh. That was the FDC and learning a foreign language was the hardest shit I've ever that done was in my hard, life. Man. The, the physical oh. stuff, whatever it's as cliche as it sounds, left foot in front of the right foot and repeat until you're done. But that's kind of what it is, you know? Um, <laughs> I don't even speak English that well. Trying to learning Pashto, I'm like, what the fuck is that this? That was hard, man. <laughs> language school kicked my ass, and I, I had French, <laughs> easy language. I can't imagine doing Pashto. Yeah. Um, let's. So we, you know, we discussed a couple of things that we were going to talk about mm -hmm. as uh, discussion things. Let's go through those, and then yep. I have a absolutely. Slew of questions so too. I want to. You know, I had so we talked about our life in the Q course somewhat, a little bit, mm -hmm. my childhood, uh, quitting. I, I think it's. I think everyone understands the word quit. I can tell you for myself that every day in selection, I wanted to quit. Uh, but what they do with people that quit in selection is it's not like you just go home. They keep you there and you're across from us. We're able to see you every single day. <laughs> I remember that. And like the whole rope crew, We're just doing the, details. The engineer tape thing. Yeah. Every, every morning we start, those guys would be there. Whoa. And at first it was like five and then you get where it's hundreds it's like of dudes. like a platoon and company. Yeah, and then it's like a battalion of dudes uh. that just quit, right? So I thrived off knowing that I was better than them. So, you know, you get a lot of people saying, quit can't be in your vocabulary. 
Quit can be in your vocabulary. You just can't action it because once you do one time, then it's an option. And so, yeah, sometimes things are going to suck and you're going to want to quit and do all this. You can think, I'm going to quit. Just don't quit. You know, there's, there's people that talk about this whole second wind bullshit, all right? I don't believe in a second wind. I believe that you got to the point that you wanted to quit, you didn't quit, and you feel really good about yourself, right? Yeah, it makes think, sense. Think yeah. about whenever your second wind quick kicks in. Yeah. Usually it's, it's, it's an uphill thing to a shitty thing. Yep. You feel really, really bad. You want to stop. You don't. And all of a sudden you feel elated and stoked because oh, yeah. you didn't. So and you're it's building a that, second win. Well, you're building that layer of resiliency where yes. you're becoming more combative towards that mindset. Yep. I used to, I always remember in selection just joking around going, uh, we're going to quit tomorrow, right? Like as, yeah. a, as a team, let's, <laughs> we're all going to quit tomorrow. And then we wake up or right before bed, we're like, oh, we forgot to quit. We'll just do it tomorrow. Yeah. And it became a joke. But it was that was building resiliency in ourselves because we were kind of like making quitting silly well, selection was the easy part for us, bro. Yeah. Uh, I remember 100%. in the Bravo course, like we were brought in the Bravo course. It was like, they wanted to the hardest road march I've ever done. Oh yeah. Was that one that we did when we drove out chicken road and had to go straight out 12 miles. And it was like uphill and sand. And we finished and everyone just like falling down, like could oh, not yeah. move. That broke me off. I remember. I'm that. like, selection was easy. It was, oh, yeah. it was the rest of the Q course. I heard they don't do that anymore. Is that a, what's your opinion? I, there's like a whole bunch of weird conversation. stuff coming out. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I've seen the memorandums and stuff. What, I feel like, thoughts? I feel like we're doing a disservice to, to special forces by not having that there. Yeah. Um, the fact that people were still failing out in SEER school. You know, whenever Mike and I went to the Q course, SEER school was our last thing. And they quit? And people were quitting. Uh. It's like, that says something. But now that people, it's it's basically, okay, you made it through this. Like, I talked to people, and in selection, I had to do the star three days in a row. And because I think the minimum was like 12 out of 16 points. And if you maxed out the first three days, you didn't have to do the fourth day. Yeah. Now maybe they do one day of star exam. Like I got, I learned a wow. lot about myself in, in selection with, with the star exam. Yeah, that was a lot. And it's like, you think you land nav, all right, but you don't. So I think we're doing the force of disservice by not having that. It wasn't hazing. It wasn't anything like that. If anything, it built us closer together as a group. Yeah. I mean, you us, learned about brotherhood and everything before you even got to the teams. Yes. Right? Especially in the Bravo course. I say the Bravo course cause we were in the Bravo course together. Um, but I mean, think about that FTX we had to do in the Bravo course. Oh God, that was horrible, dude. It was horrible. It rained. It was miserable. I had, it was hot I had, as shit. Do you remember whenever I had uh, what's poison ivy on my balls? Oh, I remember. So I had to go back a day early because my balls were literally the size of like grapefruits. No. Oh. And it was so just busy. like we had chiggers. Everybody yes. had chiggers. Everybody had poison ivy. And, or and they're like, oh, ivy. we're prepping you for Robin Sage. Oh. No, Robin Sage, probably the heaviest ruck I've ever had for the longest amount of time oh. on my back. But it's you just if you take out the hard stuff, then you're not sucking together. Yeah. And you're not going to build that camaraderie. Like, yeah. I'm a firm believer that the hard stuff that we had to do together made us who we are. And as a group, I mean, it's not like we're still boys because we went through all that shitty stuff together all the suffering on together, different yeah. teams, everything like that in third group, but we're still here today and we can relate to that. And it's, 
because I know what you've done and you know what I've done and we've done a lot of it together. Yeah. If we would have just checked the block, it wouldn't even there wouldn't even no. be that that attachment. No. You're absolutely right. Um, I, let me ask a, a question. Somebody asked a question on this uh, social media post that I put, but they said, uh, and this is going off the subject a little bit, a little bit, but it's about tactics. They said, for you, for ideal flashlight placement on a carbine, um, for those without lasers and MVGs, uh, what would you do? Where would you put it, and why? Um, I generally speaking, so I run a mall, a B Myers Mall for my for my laser. So I have my light is on the lower if we're looking down the gun it's on the lower right hand side mm-hmm. i tell people as far out as you can yeah without disrupting any of your optics mm-hmm. um you know obviously the question said no laser and out of the way of your hand but i am a firm believer of i don't like pressure pads i, I don't pressure either. pads have I always mean. failed me yeah me too they always break so I, I i don't even worry about a pressure pad i prefer it as far out as I can, away from everything, but still being able to access with my, with my support side thumb. Um, so whatever whatever that is for you, I mean, reality is the light's kind of going to work the same wherever you put it. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be how easy is it for you to access, you know? I like that. That's the same exact setup that I, that I do as well. Um, let's get another one. Let's see... How intense was the workout with Branch Warren and Johnny Jackson? <laughs> That was so I Who are those with, dudes? Who are uh, they're like two of the most notorious bodybuilders in the history of bodybuilding. Really? Um, yeah. They're both shorter than me, weigh about 280 pounds. Um, so I like to consider myself above average in the gym. And mm-hmm. that workout was intense. I trained with them for 14 days. And, you know, they, I went in with an open mind and I was like, hey, this is going to suck no matter what, but I'm going to go down there and learn from these guys and they're going to learn from me. And just to describe this, let's say it was leg day. We started off with leg extension sets of 20 to 25. Mm -hmm. And you work all the way up to you have all the plates on a leg extension rack. (laughs) So you're already about 200 reps in. And then you do 20 reps, drop it a plate. 20 reps, drop it a plate. 20 reps, drop it a plate. So your last set is literally like 300 reps. Yeah. Then you go do like 10 sets of 15 reps of box squats then you go to a leg press machine and do the same thing. Then a bear squat machine and all this. At the end of the day, you're looking close to like 3,000 reps just on one body Ooh, part. That's brutal. And then you have to eat. The eating was the hardest part. Me eating 7,000 calories a day 7, is super, thousand? super hard. Yes. I'd literally wake up and they'd have eggs and potatoes and chicken breast right there made for me. Then I have to drink a protein shake. Oh, God. And then we go to the gym, and they're like, here's your protein shake. Then we go, and it'd be rice and potatoes and chicken, and then rice and potatoes and chicken, and then rice and potatoes and chicken. (laughs) And then at night, it's like a protein pancake, which is like eggs, oatmeal, and protein powder. Uh And you have two of those. Did you get jacked? Yeah, I gained gained 13 pounds (laughs) in the two weeks that I was down there, you know? Damn. Um, And it's not like like I've, I've deployed before where I was on the program, if you will, mm-hmm. and went from 170 pounds to like 217 in six months. Damn. This was just totally different. And while we're talking about that, I, this is something I wanted to talk about as well because mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of veterans that listen to this. I know that. Um, the VA. So one thing that you're going to have to accept is, especially if you're if you're getting out of the military and if you're a man in general, is you're going to reach a certain point in life where you have to supplement with TRT or HRT, whatever you prefer it, you know? Um, 
my testosterone levels due to our cortisol levels and all that stuff in adrenal glands were at 217. And I was like, okay, whatever. No, I don't want to do this stuff. Like blah, 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 blah. And it's just, it, it was a dose to make me normal. I wasn't going to do that. And then they said, Hey, you're at risk of a heart attack with intensity that you train at in the gym because your testosterone's so low. Wow. I was like, what? So thyroid issues. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so TRT, that's something that majority of every human being I know that has my background has had to get on there just to be normal. I mean, it's nice being able to sleep and wake up with morning wood. You know what I mean? And for most of us, you know, I'm 37 and we have testosterone levels of like an 80 year old man and our bone density sucks and all this stuff. And then also something else that I wanted to talk about since we're on that subject is this. Whenever I went to the VA, whenever I got out, I had some girl who was from the Ohio State University Mm -hmm. and she was asking me if I had trouble sleeping. And I said, you know, every, every, you know, maybe two, three nights a month, but I think every human being does. She's like, do you ever dream of firefights? I'm like, yes. And she got all amped up. I was like, she's like, and, and I was like, and I wake up happy. She's like, why? I was like, well, what are you good at? That's just happens to be what I'm good at. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I have a dream about it and my team succeeds, I wake up stoked. The long story is she, she was asking me these questions. Like, have you ever killed anyone? What do you think? You know, my background, right? So she tried prescribing me Adderall, Ambien CR and Prozac. (laughs) That's the same thing I got. Three highly addictive drugs. And guess what? I have a highly addictive personality. Mm -hmm. So if you give me something like that and you say, hey, don't drink, don't take more than four of these a day. Well, I'm I'm, I'm automatically going to take eight. Yeah. And don't consume with alcohol. Well, I'm going to chug it with a bottle of Jack. Yep. And then that's how veterans are dying. So I'm a firm advocate and I will go on the record. I've said it before on podcasts is THC CBD oil, full spectrum CBD oil, or just smoke weed if you're a vet. Don't do any of that bullshit. Just my, my instructor, Joe, you know, he, he burned it on a jump, fractured his, uh, femur, shattered his sacrum, broke both pelvises, shattered his freaking, uh, spine in two places. Hemonorthorax, 37 liters of blood transfusions. This happened September 4th. They had him on all these pain meds for his nerve damage. And I took this stuff in there to him. And guess what? Now he's off all pain meds yeah, and he's doing well. That's awesome, man. If we, if we brought over legit stem cells and legalized THC, big pharma would not exist. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to get stem cell therapy in two weeks in the Bahamas through a a retired 10th group guy, Travis and, and the organization, which I'll talk about later in another podcast. But, um, just one, one thing is, I'm a big proponent of the same thing, like CBD oil and marijuana or THC. And if dosed right, hell, you can't even mess that up. I mean, you can't OD on THC. You're going to sleep. You're just sleep. (laughs) Um, So that and and then the stem cell stuff, I mean, it's the only thing that I've seen from hearing from people that is actually helping as opposed to what the VA or even healthcare period prescribes, which is garbage. I mean, they gave me the same thing. They gave me Ambien. They gave me... uh, Tramadol, um, and then some other like it, it was for it was like a psych med that was for sleep, but it was like a psychedelic med. It made me feel like a freaking zombie. And dudes like, like us with our personalities were like, "Whoa, let's go!" Like that's that's face it, one hundred percent. Majority of majority of people on this planet have addictive personalities. The reason that you and I were successful in what what we did in the military is because we have very 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 addictive personalities, yep. and we are addicted to not failing. Yep. 
And we're addicted to the workout yes. regimes. We're addicted to the tactics, to the to being the right way. All right, what's the next uh, thing that we talked about? Having a social media account that actually has traction and uh, understanding the responsibility that that brings to the table. Ooh, yeah. You know? Um, 100%. Because I've been known to get a little emotional with some choices that I make. And mm-hmm. uh, and you can be the same way. I mm-hmm. mean, we're re- with us, there's really no... We're passionate. I like to say there's a gray area, but it's not. Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah. this is this and sorry. It is what it is. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I experienced this thing whenever I was at SHOT Show this year, which I hated. And you went? I didn't even know you went. Yeah, I went for a day. No, really? Just to go. Oh. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's horrible, right? Oh. Um. But uh, I was invited, somebody invited me to like, hey, do you want to come to this influencer party at this range? And I was like, influencer party? <laughs> what is an influencer? Yeah. And they're like, oh, you know, it's a group of us and we influence the industry. And I'm looking at what it was. And it's all these chicks that take pictures with guns thinking they influence. You're not influencing shit. Ooh. Okay. So I'm not. An That's inf- what it was? Yes. I'm like, oh, I'm not God. an influencer. I'm not an instructor. I'm a teacher. All right. Those are all different Absolutely. things. 100%. And guys like us can influence the industry. But now you get these people and you look at their profiles it's like influencer. Man, how cocky do you have to be to have industry influencer on your profile? Right. So you get all these people who have these amazing numbers of followers, which let's be real, most of them bought them probably. Yeah. And um, they're like, they don't understand people are actually looking up to them for guidance. Okay. People, it, it sounds weird, but people associate a decent following with you're going to give me guidance or mm-hmm. they look up to you because of a fucking number of followers that you have. Mm-hmm. None of that shit matters, but some people don't take it as serious as we do. It is my responsibility to be a leader to the people that follow me. It is my responsibility to be a leader of any upstanding civilian police military any of that and i don't take this shit lighthearted i think too many people do you know what was the percentage of people who were there at that party as influencers that were real versus the fake what was the fake statistic probably like 90 ish oh I didn't even go. I didn't really go. no what's funny is i think mason i think you went to that party um <laughs> but uh with bj and them but you have guys like bj and all that stuff and they are they are advocates right we need people that have large followings that support um, that support the Second Amendment and everything like that. But you'll never find me, just like you'll never find you, being the dude out there that's like wearing Mullen Lobby shit and 3% and all this. No, guess what? We're just dudes that like to shoot guns. 100%. And, and like to teach and <laughs> profess and yeah. educate. But, you know, it's, it's, it's sad. It's very sad that you have guys like you and other, you know, extremely decorated people from the military and we have to fight for a follower, but I can be a chick that can say, put Jesus first in my profile and then show nothing but TNA and build a following off that Yeah, and do absolutely nothing with it. Nothing. All that they're doing is stroking their ego with every new follower. And I hate that shit. Yeah. Especially when you look at kind of, I mean, we grind so hard because we're trying to make a living for ourselves. I mean, this is there's not many options as a special operations guy when you get out. I mean, you could be a cop, a firefighter. I mean, just I mean, I've lost a six-figure job opportunity because I had sniper in my resume, and it's like, oh my god, but that's what I was. But if you if you tell enough people in the civilian world that's what you what you did, 
then somehow you're a liability. So we we take our accounts serious because it, it's a means of uh, our business and our yes. livelihood. And while we're talking about livelihood, let me talk about owning a business. Just because you own a business doesn't mean you're rich at all. I'm bored. I wish it did. <laughs> I wish it did. I know, man. Oh. But people look at, they'll look at, oh, you're, you have a course this weekend and you have this many students and then multiply it by that. They don't understand what actually goes into this. I will tell you right now, the job that I'm doing, well, one, sponsors pay my bills, right? I'm not going to lie. I will 100% say that, but I don't use anything that I wouldn't deploy with. So if you see me using it, I would deploy with it and put my life on the line with it. But I do what I do because I'm passionate about it and because I actually give a damn about every person that comes to one of my courses. This is reality. If you come to a field craft survival course or a courses of action course or a Cogworks or Haley or anybody like that, and you have to use what we teach you outside of training, somebody is dying. It's you and your loved ones or the bad guy. And that's the weight that I wear, that I hold on my shoulders. Hmm. It's serious. It's not bullshit. It's not going out there to like get pictures for the gram. It's because I actually give a fuck. That's crazy. That, I mean, that, that, just saying it like that just uh, rehashes uh, and just, I mean, it drives me uh, as a light because, I mean, I, the tactical industry, and you know this because you're in the same boat with it, just I'm, we're not big fans of it. I mean, I remember if I, when, when, when's the last time that we went to SHOT Show together at representing the Army? 2011 or 12 or something Yeah, it's like been that. a while. It's been a minute, but I remember those experiences and then us talking about it, just like, this is a shit show, man. And no offense to the SHOT Show because there are um, there are representations, there are people, there are businesses that do good work. Uh, like I, I actually make a, made a pledge to go next year, but not to go. I'm not going to the floor. I'll go to set up a VRBO or room and then podcast the shit out of everybody mm-hmm. who's there so I could share the knowledge of all the great experience that's there with some of the people. But I'm just not a fan because of what, are, what a lot of people think is uh, the tactical space. They think it's gunplay, and I don't think it, the guns are, are, should be a part of playing. Nerf guns are a part of playing, not, yep. not uh, real guns. So No, it's in, like I said, shooting a gun is easy. It's, it's what's between your ears that, gets you, that keeps you alive. And that's the shit that people, I, any, dude, we used to bring in the best shooters in the civilian world to Fort Bragg, Jerry, Rob, all those guys. And they would teach us how to shoot fast and accurate and how jacked up we were at shooting. And we'd apply tactics to it. The tactic side, that's the thinking part. That's survivability. Shooting a gun is easy. 100%. Well, let's talk about abortion because this has been a hot topic. I mean, well, it's always been a hot topic, but it, uh, it's just on the forefront, um, um, I, we just been discussing it recently, and I know you're, you're real passionate about it. You have you have uh, your own uh, little child to worry yes. about, and it's a big deal. And people don't understand kind of like well, the political decisions, how it's fucking us up. So, what's your what's your thoughts? I can't believe that it's actually. Well, he's looking to see what I'm looking at. If you guys didn't see that just now, <laughs> I can't believe that it's actually that we actually have to talk about this and bring this bring this to light. The fact that. You know, you're seeing these pictures on social media and yes, this, this is how social media should be used Mm -hmm. is, is unifying a voice of this is fucked up. The fact that you have a full term child in a fucking home Depot bucket is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. People need to understand if you're out there having sex and you're not fucking adult enough to take birth control, wrap it up and something happens, that's on you. Mm -hmm. That's your responsibility. 
it's essentially genocide right now that's going on with these babies. And you know, I was I was listening to the numbers you're spitting off the other day, just on Virginia alone. That is horseshit. That is horseshit. You know, we want to we'll allow something like that to happen, but we'll ban guns in some states. So we'll allow mass murder to happen, which is what it is, you guys. It's mass murder. Mm -hmm. These kids had they don't have a choice. It's 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 ludicrous. I, I can't like I get so far like I can't imagine my daughter not being here, you know. And I and I am personal to this because on my 2006 deployment, I had a chick who didn't tell me she was pregnant, and when I deployed, decided to have an abortion, and I would not have supported that decision at all. And that was that fucked with my head. And then with my current daughter, Gabrielle Danger, I call her Danger. <laughs> We were Call sign danger. 18 weeks into it prior to her, and we lost a baby at 18 weeks. And that was like, dude, talk about not understanding what the fuck I did wrong and, 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 and just the guilt I felt and how I felt. And now you're going to tell me that you can be a human being and actually get rid of a child at full term and be fine with that? You're a piece of shit. Yeah, and the people that advocate this are pieces of shit. Yeah, the, the, the statistics are alarming. And if you look at the, the CDC and a couple other nonprofit organizations keep really great statistics, but the CDC one is the one I reference. And I, in 2015, because the stats come out every couple of years, two to three years, so 2019, this year, there'll be some more stats, but the last solid update was from 2015. And in 2015, nationwide, there was over 680,000 children that were killed. Um, and then the alarming statistic is if you read the articles and the data on this, the, most of the media outlets and typically on the left that are advocating for, uh, the right to abort, uh, in, in the third term, which is seven to nine months would say that it's, Hey, it's only 1.3%. Well, yeah, 1.3% is a small number, but if we look at the overall number, it's over 8,000 children beyond 22 weeks and the third trimester were killed. And so here's the, here's the problem with Virginia that we outlined was in the state of Virginia, you could do, there's actually eight states total that you could do a third trimester, which is seven to nine month abortion all the way, including while the, while the mother's uh, giving birth, which has happened. This is ridiculous. It's crazy. And so now, now let's just look at that seven to nine months. And then those women, there is some states, including the state of Virginia that are, that are, utilizing a court decision in the 90s that said that it doesn't just have to be physical health. Meaning, let's say your child is uh, identified as going to be you know, a disabled child or some there's some kind of uh, issue that's going to happen when she comes out of the wound, he or she comes out of the wound, and they would pass away, for example, that which is the rare circumstance. And then there's also um, the physical compromise to health of the woman which is, you know, there's instances where there's a life-threatening event. That's rare. But here's the stipulation. The stipulation is they say health. So it's physical health, and then there's well-being. So there's like four outlines of it. It's like well-being, um, health. That could be mental health. And so they literally have aborted babies in the third trimester that are full, that basically could survive outside of the womb in the, in the, the seven to nine-month bracket because the woman had a mental health condition 
and advocated for herself and a doctor agreed and they terminated the child. And, and that actually is the majority of those 8,000 that have been terminated. So that should be alarming. The fact that a woman, it doesn't, you know, if it was a man giving birth, I don't think I'm being sexist here. If it was a man giving birth, I'd say the same thing in my, my tone. The fact that a woman can say, I'm mentally unhealthy, and then in the seven to nine month period could say, because I'm mentally unhealthy, which there's no correlation between mental health and the child's well-being, right? There's no correlation that just because you're a schizophrenic, you're bipolar, you're having anxiety or depression doesn't mean that you can't deliver that baby. The fact that a doctor can approve the termination of that child because of your mental health capacity is uh, ludicrous. Yeah, I've actually talked to doctors, um, uh, several doctors and nurses about that, and they said there is zero, zero mental health conditions that would warrant the termination of a child in the third trimester. And that, 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 that's just one small issue. But the overall issue and you know, that, that Primo brought up is the fact that it's genocide. We're killing the fact that we allow the law to be that way is why it's an out. It, it's a form of birth control now. It's not responsibility, adult responsibility. It's the fact that you could just go to a clinic and they could just stick uh, you know, some tool inside of you and rip the baby to shreds and it, and it costs you 300 bucks. Uh, that we provided it so easy. I can't even think that way. It's like crazy, I, I can do, I can be a very, very, very violent human being. But I've seen that. What, it's scary. One of the things that I will that I can't is anything dealing with a child. Like half the time, like I mean, think about it, dude. Rolling into a compound and you have a fucking dad using his three year old daughter as a human shield. You're like, oh, really, God. dude? Yeah. And. Or you've seen the worst sides of humanity, and then it's that here. was overseas, and it's here, and we're so comfortable it's okay. with doing it's it. Okay, yeah, the, the baby could be born. No, we're just going to kill. Like, that is fuck. I can't believe it. You know, I, I, I often tell people, I had a buddy in a certain agency uh, that you worked with before, but not call sign side, uh, full name side, and he lost both his legs in JBAD mm-hmm. two weeks ago. Ooh. And people forget that we're still there doing that. Yeah, I look at a large part of my life was spent in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And then what I was fighting for and all that stuff. And then I come back here and now it's like, well, what the fuck? Like, we're fighting bad guys, but now they're killing full grown babies here. Like, this makes no sense to me. And they're advocating for it. I, yes. Yeah. Dude, whenever I see their fucking smiles on the news, oh God, uh, I'm dude, just like, I, I will rip that. your face off and oh, eat it. I hate that. Like, I will put, that, put them in front of me and watch right. I would gladly go to prison to make sure that those fucking people are not here. And I would, I would gladly do that. It's, I can't believe the fact that they have enough power to make that decision and that it's being supported just blows my mind. You know, and I, I certainly don't, um, uh, I never advocate for any of that. Right. But when, when you have a law that makes it so easy and then you have an impoverished mother who doesn't even know, or the, the decision that she's making doesn't understand the severity of that decision and then can convince a doctor who's in the business of doing this. Um, to terminate a child, like leading into labor. I think the hypothetical to Tran, the uh, representative of Virginia who was trying to get this bill passed, 
you know, the hypothetical was, hey, so a mom giving birth could say basically because I'm mentally, you know, out of my mind, she could terminate the baby before it's born. And the answer was yes. And, you know, I, I drew this schematic where I just drew a vagina, right? This is the vagina wall, right? And the, the baby on the left side of the vagina wall, the vaginal wall, is a fetus. The baby on the right side is a baby. The baby on the left side that's a fetus is legally aborted. The baby on the right side is murdered. So you would be, you would be convicted of murder separating, separated by the vaginal wall. That's the only differentiation. It's a, it's a baby that's capable of living outside of the womb, but because it's in the womb and we created some law, then it's not murder. But as soon as it exits, all of a sudden it's murder. That's fucking ludicrous, man. And, and the, the, my favorite thing is the feminist who are like, I'm, uh, I'm a woman and I'm not a womb. Well, you, beca- <laughs> you became a womb when you decided to fuck. How yes, about that? I 100%. mean, when you, when you committed yep. to understanding the, the, the severity or the responsibility that comes with having sexual intercourse where you can get pregnant, how about there's some ownership there? And being a father is hands down the, the greatest thing that I've ever done. And it's like, it's, I, I can't fathom that decision-making process of like, there's just no way. There's not, there's not anything in this world, any situation I could be in that if, that I would do that. Like, I, I swear it, it's, it's, I guess life maybe means more to me than some people, but. Well, I hate the father and all these things that people have been talking about. What I hate is, where's the father's voice in this? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I get, you know, they're talking about the women and the womb and the vagina and like all this stuff, but it's like, where's the father's um, decision making in this? Between a woman and her doctor, so that's okay. And if the man's not present, then. She's they're okay with her murdering her their child at at full term, which is the third trimester. That's it's sickening, man. Yep. Uh, anyways, uh, let's answer a couple more questions. All we right, get, what's up? Let's see. I'll find a good one for you because there's tons of good ones on here. So I'm on the Instagram uh, post I just did, and somebody says the pros and cons of a list enlisting 18 X-ray going straight to the queue versus. Starting in the infantry, then putting in the packet. Which does the, uh, which does better on an ODA? Um, to be honest, man, uh, the eighteen X-rays that we had on our team were studs. Yeah. Uh, Ditto. It's, yeah. it's it's not like you're going to be an eight. It's not like you're going to be a turd <clears throat> from the streets and just make it in the Q course. If the eighteen X-ray program was around when I enlisted, and I actually knew what a Green Beret was, besides John Wayne, um, I probably would have liked to do it. What was funny though is is whenever you have eighteen X rays in selection and they're asking you like, hey, what's the army like, you know? But they have additional courses that they have to attend in the Q course to prep them for selection, to prep them for the army, to just teach them what being a soldier is outside of basic NIT. Um, so I wouldn't really say there's the one con would be just obvious uh, military experience. But the pros are you get you get an expedited timeline to go there, and it's not like man, there's like some crazy crazy standards now. I think they have to have a two year degree minimum, be at least twenty one years old, all this stuff. It's not like whenever you and I were in selection, we had nineteen year old kids, you know, eighteen year old kids in selection. So there's definitely standards. And guess what? If you don't make it through selection or SOPC one or SOPC two, you're going to the big army anyway. You know, there's I think a lot of people focus on 
selection and 18 x-ray rasp and all this stuff, you forget you have to join the army first and pass basic AIT, which yes, there's not a large attrition rate, but you still, it's not like you're just going to magically be there. There's a lot that goes into there. So what I tell people is just worry about where you're at. What do you have to do? Join the army, pass basic AIT. Now I have SOPC, pass that. Now I have selection, pass that. And you can still fail. So I'd say there's more, more pros than cons is 18 x-ray. That was a little... I like that. Long-winded. Uh, no, it's not at all. I think that's a good answer, um, and it's ditto for me. But um, uh, this is the last one from the IG side, but it, uh, it says, uh, first and last time taking a life, how it affected you guys mentally and emotionally? Um, to be honest, it, it, uh, it's, it's not something that I, that I like found joy in. Um, there were certain times whenever we're like, okay, this team got fucked up and we're going to get uh, redemption for them. Right. So, but it's, uh, our ROE was life limer eyesight of ourselves or our teammates. Right. And generally speaking, we were mature enough. We were not just going out there and shooting people that didn't need to be shot. So if I was killing somebody, it was because they were trying to kill myself or one of my teammates. So, uh, mentally I tell people it's, it's kind of like a light switch that you have to have instant access to. And it's on and off, all right? It wasn't taking a human being's life that bugged me. It was knowing that majority of the time they had a family there, right? So I say, you have to turn that switch on to be a killer, and then you have to turn it off and show compassion real quick, especially whenever you're doing SSEs or sensitive site exploitation after you hit an objective, and you have women and children there. Like, you just can't be a dick. And I'd say that was the part that bothered me more so than actually taking the bad guy's life. It was knowing that they're kids and, and that they were there and, and now they don't have a father and that would be what, what, uh, mess with me. But like Mike saw over there, majority of the time, the kids were like, Hey, my dad or my uncle or blah, blah, blah was a turd anyway. So you <laughs> guys did a good that. job. <laughs> yeah. I actually had a, a, I killed a dude and, uh, his wife was there and I felt really bad. And the interpreter, which was Johnny, um, <laughs> Uh, Johnny Walker was my interpreter and he's, he's written a book and he's a really good dude. And he was sitting next to me. I'm like, what is this? What is she saying? And he's like, he was a scumbag and he deserved it. I'm like, wow. Uh, that opened my eyes, but I, I'm the same boat. If you know, the emotional, if I look back and think about all the, the instances of killing bad guys, uh, no regrets, there's none, but then you know, there are emotionally tied uh, elements to it with family, with children being on scene. But I also understand that as a, a cost of war kind of thing. And so it's, it's you know, I always tell people it's kind of difficult to assess us because when I talk to a psychologist and I tell them that, they're like, no, 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 no. There's something else. It's deeper. And I'm like, no, actually, it's not. You want to tell me why I messed up in certain ways? I'll tell you exactly why, but it has nothing to do with the direct effects of me from combat. It's losing brothers. It's not, it's feeling like I'm missing out. It's uh, transitioning because of behavior, but it's never, it's never well, typically fact, killing the bad fact guys. that we're still losing guys. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, what's your take on that? Cause you know, we're still at war. We're still losing guys. I mean, I 18 years later, right? Well, and here's the thing is everyone's like, everyone's like, Oh yeah, we're in Afghanistan still. Well, guess where we're still at as well? Germany, Japan, Korea. Korea. <laughs> like, we're never not going to be there. And and it really, I remember after 9-11 happened and 
what I will call false patriotism happened for about three months Mm -hmm. and flags everywhere, yellow ribbons and all this stuff. And now it's, you know, 18 years later almost. And we still have guys taking it to bad guys' butts in Afghanistan. Still, my buddy lost both his legs and he's the ninjas of the ninjaist or however you'd phrase that. Right. Um, but, uh, lost both his legs a couple weeks ago and people are like, Oh, we're still there. Well, yes, we're still there. And guess what? We're always going to be there. And it's in some ways I'm jealous that, that, uh, that the dynamic of the mission, how it shifted, uh, the fact that green berets are in 150 countries, which people can't really grasp the fact that it's gone from such direct stuff to more low vis stuff. Um, it's easy to get jealous, but then I have to remember why I got out to and it's so that I can experience real life and be a grown up. But, uh, it kills me that guys are still dying over there and that it's a part of combat and it's going to happen. But the fact that our country doesn't understand exactly how spread out and that we are still actively engaging bad guys every single day. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I, uh, man, um, Damn, we could we could I could actually add an hour to this podcast. Maybe we could talk forever. Um, the the uh, you have some things coming up in the near future for courses of action. What what do you guys got coming up in the near future? Uh, we we uh, have some, you know, obviously shooting courses. SGT in Burnett, Texas, uh, with a uh, former friend Dan, uh, using that the Reveille Peak Ranch. Love that ranch. I Love heard Dan. it's pretty amazing. Love um, it. I'm excited about this SGT course. You know, we have we have a couple of repeats going through, and uh, are they recycles or just, no? Just, just going back. back. Yeah, it's uh, how many days is that? Uh, four days. Damn. And patrol bases, everything. Everything. Sleep in the wood line. Yes. Are you out there too? Yes. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, dude, it's it's crazy. <laughs> whenever you'll blow them out, and they're like black, and they're like oh, going man. to alternate patrol bases, and like. So we, in a, we incorporate kind of like your soft prep. Yeah. Um, I want to I wanna expose them to as many things as possible. So yes, it's based on small unit tactics, but we also bring in some seer things and things like that just as eye openers for people. You know, There's a lot of people that go to these courses and they think they want to be special operations and then they get a little taste of it and they realize quick that, oh, this is not for me. You know, mm. um, How many people are allowed in that course? Uh, we do 15. Ooh, so we like have a, a detachment, like yes. a whole detachment. Huh? Yes. Yeah, so we have our command control element, and then we have two two teams. We break it down. Um, and uh, you rotate through three leadership positions. It's it's very Damn. similar to a lot of stuff that you and I did. And uh, full-blown force on force, have an entire op four. Damn. And to be an op four person, you have to be a veteran or you must have attended SUT prior to this. That's awesome. To, to actually go there. And uh, UTMs, game on. We do a day of, of team live fire, which is definitely an eye-opener for people. You know, everyone thinks, oh, this is sexy. Like, no. Whenever it all boils down to is raid, recon, ambush, 7-8. Like, mm-hmm. you can be in the sexy unit out there. If you're reacting to contact, guess what you're reacting to? And, um, but yeah, so that's coming up. And then... Uh, we're doing instructor development courses now, mm-hmm. which is 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 going to be good. Um, which perf- the industry needs that. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that you get all these guys. Well, you know, it was approached by cops to do this mm-hmm. because they, like us, whenever they leave being a police officer, they're like, oh, I was a cop. 
And they're like, oh, well, what are you certified to do? So having courses of action certifications, believe it or not, that little thing means a lot to some people. Absolutely. And um, there'll be a three-day option and a five-day option. And I basically open up my closet to them. You know, it's here's how I teach. I'm teaching you how to teach. I teach you my verbiage. I show you my curriculum. I show you my drills. And then what this is also doing is building a network of adjunct instructors throughout the country whenever they go. And it's not going to be saturated. It's not a money thing. We'll have six students in each one. And it's a go, no go type thing. So if you, if you can't teach and articulate the right way, guess what? You're not getting a certification. You're more than welcome to come back for free and try again. But it's, it's tying our name to, to people that we believe in that can teach our curriculum. I love that, man. That's real smart. And that's just, I mean, we needed that so bad in the tactical space. It's really smart. Where can people uh, find all this stuff, this high-speed stuff? So you can go to Instagram, obviously, at courses underscore of underscore action. And on Instagram, I'm going to use a big word here. It's not dash. It's hyphen. It's www.courses-of-action.com. Uh, hyphen, for you guys that don't understand, is a little subtraction sign. And then uh, Facebook, we're not really active on there. Facebook gets really weird with us. But uh, I'd say Instagram and the website, and if you, the same as Mike, if you have any questions, DM me, and I will get an answer out to you. Not because I want to, because I have to. All right, and and I care. So, awesome, man. Well, it's been a long podcast, and it just went by super fast. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank man. you Thanks for, for taking the thank time. Thank you for thank you for having me up here, bro. I no, appreciate it. We'll do this again, man. I mean, yep. you're down the road now. No excuse. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> I appreciate. It. Thanks. Thanks, Primo.